It's time to light up a cigar and talk about business and cars. Are you ready to get the insider edge and pick up a few ideas that you can incorporate into your business today? Your host, Brandon Green, has 25-plus years in the automotive industry, with 10-plus years owning his own business. Together with a diverse lineup of guests from all industries, he's asking the right questions to get you the answers you seek. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Business Cars and Cigars. And I have somebody I've been wanting to get on here ever since I started this. Somebody who's been a uh, friend of mine in the industry, car audio industry, for quite a while, and somebody I look up to very much and for everything he does. Um, he has been a everything from sweeping the floors to a VP manufacturer. Without going too far and giving it away too much, I would like to welcome Mr. Derek Schmiedel, and I'll let him tell you exactly kind of where he's came from and where he's at now and what's going on. So, Derek, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you coming on, taking the time to do this, man. No, it's my pleasure. Uh, it sounded uh, fairly interesting. I had the opportunity to listen to a couple of their seminars, and uh, I, I found them quite entertaining. So, <laughs> <laughs> so where 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 do I start? Um, God, uh, back when the Earth was cooling in the mid '80s, uh, <laughs> I think. Uh, I like a lot of people when MTV was still playing music, uh, you know, uh, was really infatuated with car stereo. Uh, even before I could drive, I grew up in Northern California in a little town called Gilroy, which is just South of San Jose. Um, and my father was a senior engineer at IBM. So from a very early age, uh, I got introduced to not only electronics, uh, but my father, at the age of 21, had bought himself a 1965 Corvette. So automobiles were uh, really a mainstay in our family. Um, it's, you know, like a lot of families. You know, I was a little kid handing my dad tools. And um, I think my interest in electronics started in about 1980. Um, I believe it was Christmas of 80. I was eight years old. My father bought me a, a set from Radio Shack. I think it was 101 electronic uh, experiments. And I remember uh, sitting down reading the schematics and looking at these coils and components. I, I ended up going through all of them, but there was one that kind of struck me as really odd and, and very enticing. Um, that was a radio jammer. So <laughs> I had, yeah, I had an older sister at the time who now lives in England. Uh, both her and her brother were, were foster children and they lived with us uh, for quite a many years. Um, she was into CB radios. So my dad had constructed a linear amplified tower out the back of our house for CB, uh, which isn't quite the same frequency range as an AM FM, but when you put power behind it, it can do some damage. Well, at eight years old, I, uh, I managed to uh, design this. And instead of using the output of the antenna, I hooked it up to her linear. So that was my first experience at getting in a lot of trouble. You know, uh, it kind of escalated like most people in the 12 volt to doing things in my driveway um, <laughs> at the dismay of both my parents. Uh, you know, my mom used to joke that I was good with women, so I should be a gynecologist. And my dad <laughs> always told me that I should be an engineer, which uh, eventually stuck, I guess. Um, but uh, it was really a hobby. Uh, I have the same story that a lot of people do. I. I, uh, like Larry Frederick says, I, I went to MIT, mistakes I tried. Uh, I blew up a lot of stuff, <laughs> made a lot of mistakes, uh, a couple fires, but 
eventually, you know, uh, I ended up working with some really good people that taught a intelligent but quite hyper young man the proper ways to do things. And the, the first lesson I learned, uh, as you pointed out, was sweeping floors. You know, I've done pretty much every job within 12 volt from sweeping floors. My main job throughout my career in the retail was mainly installation, uh, particularly custom audio and, uh, you know, going into troubleshooting. Um, that was the one thing that I took an interest in where I found a niche. Um, a lot of people were really involved at in making things look pretty, but there was less concentration on sound quality, less concentration on the actual execution. And, and I can recall very early on, uh, probably around 87, 88, when I would look at some of these installs and I would, my, my, my jaw would just drop open. They were beautiful. They were loud. But the impressions were initially, they didn't sound very good um, in a lot of cases. And, and it wasn't until later on that I was able to actually access the behind the scenes panels and see this it looked like a three-year-old had been wrestling with wires for two days and just jammed it back of a panel. So as cars started to progress and became uh, more complex, I, I found a niche in being able to diagnose things, troubleshoot things. And, you know, I, I was a good fabricator, not definitely not the best. Uh, I worked with a lot of people that were much better than I was. Um, but what I found was that being able to troubleshoot things and solve problems was extremely uh, important, not only to the clients, but also, you know, the people that were employing me. And that kind of set me apart at an early age seeing success with that is kind of what drove me to find out how things actually work. So reading things like, uh, you know, Vance Dickerson's uh, Speaker Builder Cookbook to actually do things on my own to try to learn. Because remember, in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, we didn't have a lot of the tools that we have today. We didn't have right. a lot of the tools we had 20 years ago. I, I couldn't, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll date myself here back to the late 90s. And I couldn't call direct text and have them fax me a diagram for something, figure it out for myself. Right. And along with, obviously, you know, the involvement of my my coworkers. And, and I think that's that's one of the things that, that I'll point out that I think that, that every effort in my entire career was not a solitary effort. It always involved having... People that were smarter than I, that were better than I, that maybe had more experience than I in many cases um, to help me out. So that progressed through the 90s. You know, I had a short stint with the Navy, uh, which is really the only career until recently I've had outside of 12 volt. And, and then I went right back to it. When I got out of the Navy, I um, started a shop with Chris Robinson, who had had a lot of success in Iaska with uh, Speaker Works and based in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, we did that for a couple of years when I was going to grad school. And um, and then I ended up getting headhunted by Sound Advice uh, out of South Florida in the late 90s. I think it was 98. They relocated me and, uh, you know, I, I got a taste of, of what I thought was going to be a very promising career where I could, you know, get into a company that was very much larger than anything I'd been associated with. It was a shock uh, because out of 192 installers in the company, I think from my first month out, I was the top uh, producing installer in the company. And I think that that was consistent except for one month for about nine months. Awesome. Didn't, didn't really do anything for my career. I mean, I, I built some cool stuff for some cool people, 
but you know, I'd also done that in Arizona. Um, and, uh, after about nine months, the the company had made me promises that they didn't fulfill. And, um, I got a job offer from Guy Filippelli in Arizona who owned a little company called Soundworks. So, you know, after nine months in Florida, we packed up at the time, uh, I had had my second child who's now 23 and, uh, we relocated to Phoenix and, uh, Guy Filippelli, uh, probably in my career, was the most influential person that that I can point a finger on until I went into manufacturing. Uh, at the time, Soundworks was the absolute dominating force for show quality vehicles, uh, probably in the country, if not one of the top three. And uh, we did a lot of cars. So we did cars for Alma Gates. Uh, we did cars for a variety of celebrities, uh, which, you know, I mean, I, I can go into two hours of those. Yeah, uh, but it was a really, really fun atmosphere. You know, I had the benefit of working with, you know, world class guys like Chad Peterson. Um, Aaron Ruddy worked with us. God, John Schultes, uh, Jimmy Brown. I mean, I can go on and on. I remember Scott Owens uh, applied with us uh, just before the whole Team Gates thing. And I wanted him, you know, to come on board. He had a lot of promise. Uh, but, you know, we had so much talent in the shop already. I think we had just hired Josh Enos, who was working with Doug Dobson at Classic in Michigan. He had moved out like two weeks before uh, Scott applied. So it, it was it was challenging. I mean, it was a six day, seven day work week, you know, eight to 12 hours a day minimum. And I, I learned a lot. You know, Guy was um, a really nurturing business owner that really valued the employees. He wanted them to succeed because their success was his success. Mm-hmm. And about a year or so into my employment, um, Don Chardulo came into the mix, who was the vice president for Extant prior. Extant had been bought out by Lloyd Ivy at MTX, and uh, Don was a consultant. And Don became kind of a second mentor, you know, more on the business side than anything else. Uh, at that point in my career, I had really concentrated on the integration, the um, fabrication side, the sound quality side, the troubleshooting side. But up to that point, I really hadn't paid close attention to what it actually takes to drive a company, to you know, fill in all the facets that can make a company either float or sink. Right. Um, so you know, Don became kind of a mentor, and in about 2005, I had hooked up with um, a customer at the time, and we started developing a tracking system based on two-way pager technology called Reflex 25. If you can recall, and I know all you installers out there can remember all your drug dealers that came through your shop <laughs> during that time period with two-way pagers. We've and, all and had plenty. And sometimes lawyers and professionals, but let, let's be candid, you know, most of the time someone with a two-way pager, their money smelled like, you know, cheap Mexican dirt weed. Um, so <laughs> we started looking into the technology and figured out that as opposed to cellular, the actual reoccurring fees for data were exponentially low, like one one thousands. So I got involved with that uh, while I was still installing and uh, helped to start a company that was originally sold off. And at that point, uh, you know, I had a, let's just say a disagreement with my business partner and uh, just decided to do custom 
uh, labored Phoenix for a while, consulting, things like that. And uh, I ended up at a company called Signature Audio in Scottsdale, Arizona. Dave Hill, the owner. Uh, at the time, Stephen Yu, probably, again, one of the most talented installers working today, uh, was the um, install manager. Uh, I ended up hooking back up with Chad Peterson, who I'd worked with at Soundworks. And, um, you know, we, we set forth to set fire to the valley. Uh, again, same scenario. Uh, top-notch installation, customer service, sound quality was a premium. And, you know, a very, very similar environment to what I have with Soundworks, where we had a business owner. At the time, it was actually two. Uh, Joff Bingham was Dave Hill's business partner, uh, who came from a, uh, a very affluent family. Uh, which offered us a absolutely state-of-the-art facility. Um, the state of the facility actually was designed in combination between the ownership of Signature Audio, uh, Stephen Yu, who was the install manager, and Brian Schmidt. So anything and everything you'd ever need, uh, paint rooms, uh, you could eat off the floor in this place. I mean, it was what everyone has been experiencing mobile solutions pr uh, promoting for the last 15 or 20 years we had this done, you know, prior to that. Uh, I love it. Was, it. It was really a, a beautiful facility. I mean, we had soft chop, we had wet chop saws, we had uh, everything besides laser cutters, which most shops have today in a CNC. But, you know, I think there was five router stations, um, uh, dedicated wrap room. We had everything to fabricate vehicles to a world-class level. And we did produce those vehicles. So it was during that time where um, I got a call on a vehicle that actually Josh Enos had done for Aaron Spelling. Aaron Spelling was the producer for 90210 and a bunch of other, you know, really trendy shows in the early 90s. And yeah. somehow, I don't know how it happened, but his Mercedes-Benz limo was delivered to us toward the end of my tenure at Soundworks. And Josh had built this vehicle out. And one of the things that we did was we extracted the video from a Pioneer system. And we put it up onto these large flat panel LCD screens, which were brand new at the time. Right. And like a lot of stuff we were doing that was cutting edge, it got into the magazines. I'm not sure if it was Chris Fessler that did it or who did it. It's been too many years. Uh, but anyway, someone wrote the article. And I, I got a call from a guy with a really, really heavy accent. And he, he basically was asking me how we did that. And I explained it to him. I, I told him exactly how we did it, what parts we used, where we found the parts. And none of this was in 12 volt at the time. In fact, I think the pieces we, we use at the time, I, I, I bought from like a video game arcade site that I had found through like mail order and partially internet. And at the end of the conversation, he says, well, listen, I, I own a shop in Brooklyn and I've got a lot of clients that are coming in with new Mercedes and BMWs and, and Lexus vehicles that have these navigation screens. And they're wanting to put like cameras on the screen. They're wanting to put uh, TV tuners on the screen and stuff like that. And without even thinking, my initial comment was those screens are too small. No one's going to ever want to do that. All right. I mean, I, I didn't even think about it. So going into signature audio, you know, probably about a year after this conversation happened, um, I get introduced to a, a brand new company to me called Nav TV. And at the time, the majority of stuff that they were doing um, through signature 
was send in modifications where you would send the radio out uh, to New York. They would modify it and they'd send it back to you. And so we, now we were now able to do exactly what, you know, this gentleman was talking about. Well, it, it turned out that the guy I had talked to a year before was Moni Melman, the owner of Nav TV. So him and his oh. wife started out uh, in, in New York and a little shop called Platinum and had developed this business. And all of a sudden in a year, it turned into a very lucrative business. Um, they were the only ones doing it. Uh, the only company that was offering a video input. Uh, and, and to my knowledge, the first company that actually put a safety device, in this case, primarily a backup camera onto the factory screen of a vehicle. So I became a customer and um, I watched for a couple of years uh, going through trial and error. And what really impressed me about the company was the fact that not the successes, but the failures. When we had a failure, Moni was the person that was on the phone with us for hours and hours and hours. If he couldn't figure it out, we had an advanced replacement the very next day, and he didn't charge us. Um, you know, to right. me as an installer, um, not having that lifeline, not having the ability to actually contact the manufacturer specifically at the highest level that had the ability the ability to make decisions was a really huge impression on me, a very positive one. So in 2007, the economy in Arizona started to really take a hit. And, and what was the first thing that's hit in a downward economy? Any disposable income. I mean, I'd love to tell you that car stereo is a necessity, but the <laughs> fact is I need to eat. I need to have a roof over my head. I don't need a $5,000 stereo system. You yeah, know? Well, what we do is definitely a, uh, a luxury for sure. Well, so should I say uh, what I do now? <laughs> no, and it's definitely not disparaging the industry. It's just pointing out a fact that I think we're all so close to it that we don't understand that this is not food. This is not electricity. This is not a roof over your head. So in situations like that, people tend to reduce their spending in areas where they can avoid. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, Phoenix was one of the first areas in the country that was really hit by it. Uh, and it took a really big toll on, on my ability to continue to produce and provide for my family. So um, I ended up um, regrouping with Bob Basil, uh, who was working with NAP TV. Bob and I had actually worked at Sound Device together in Florida in Plantation. And we started talking and he began to tell me that they were expanding rapidly, that they needed smart people, that they needed people to join the organization. So uh, my parents had relocated to Wellington, Florida, which is only about 20 miles north of Boca. They were already here. Uh, my brother was already here. And uh, Moni and I reached an agreement where he'd fly me out for a week. Uh, he'd pay me uh, a pre-described fee for the week to find out if I was a good fit for the company. But he added something that I'd never heard from an employer before to find out if the company's a good fit for me. And so I spent a week out here in December of 2007. And I'll tell you, it was definitely an eye-opening experience. I came in with the impression that because of my background, because of the things I had done, this was going to be easy. And that was absolutely the <laughs> farthest from the truth out there. I was introduced to things that I had never experienced before, but I was also, you know, led through those processes. 
So I ended up joining NavTV. Uh, I started out in the engineering department in December of 2007, uh, relocated from Arizona to Florida in January of 2008. And, you know, I've pretty much been here in some fashion or another ever since. The first year that I worked for the company was definitely a growth year. Uh, and it was a growth year because we understood what was happening financially across the country. We knew right. that we had the talent, the expertise, and the machinery to sustain the company through that. But it took a very, very concentrated group effort at the highest level that year. I believe prior to me joining NavTV, I believe the company had 36 product offerings as of January 2008. By January 2009, I believe we had added over 120 products to the category. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was an exponential growth rate, which was only feasible, uh, again, by a group effort of very, very dedicated staff that put in a tremendous amount of hours. You know, I, I think one of the drawbacks is is when you're when you're so focused on inventing things and perfecting things that in that type of time period, you know, some of the things that we we looked at, we thought was going to be great, and and I'll tell you, out of those over 100 products that came to market, there was probably a hundred more that didn't go past a day or two of, of engineering or conceptual uh, art. So, you know, you may see a great thing today, but it's really hard to understand what happens behind the scenes and how many failures have to happen before that great thing comes to market. Anyways, fast forward uh, 14 years from that point, uh, last year, about this time in 2021, uh, during the height of the pandemic, we had started a company under the NAPTV umbrella uh, based off of the success that NAPTV had had with safety products. The state of Florida decided to mandate in-building communication for police, fire, and EMS uh, as a requisite. Okay. When we learned about this, you know, it would kind of be like if the government did a law that says as a condition to operate a vehicle, you must have a $5,000 or more stereo system in your car. Uh, that's essentially what we all heard coming from the 12-volt industry is, holy crap, there are systems that have to go in buildings that are mandated. Otherwise, they do not get a certificate of occupancy and there's money in it. And it's very closely related to what we're doing in 12-volt audio. It is RF two-way communication. So that, that company was actually started in, I believe, 2014, and I was involved in it since day one. But my major concentration at the time had been NAV-TV. Because the state of Florida mandated this in 2018, my involvement with that company became more and more uh, to the point where in 2021, uh, I had to make a very hard decision. Do I continue to do both jobs with NAV-TV and Stellar Communications? Or do I concentrate on one or the other? Um, you, and you were a VP at NavTV, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was. I became the vice president of NavTV, I believe, in, oh, God, it would have been probably May of 2009. And I held that title until about May of 2021. And it was a very hard decision to, to step back and take on another role. 
but it's one that has provided me with the ability to have more time with my family, uh, to have more personal space, and to be in total control uh, over the outcome of projects. So uh, for me, I think it was the right decision. And definitely for my family, it was the right decision. It's not that I'm not still involved in any facet. It's just that, you know, when you're working six or seven days a week, 12 hours a day for over a decade, you, you age quite quickly, you know, no matter how much, yeah, no matter how much energy you have, no matter how much strength and, and empathy you have, it comes a time, especially me, I'm, I'm 49 years old. I was 48 when I made this decision where I have to look at what my ability is going to be. I don't have the energy that I had when I was 35, 36. Uh, nope. And I definitely don't have the energy when I was 21. So, I hear that. So, you know, I talk to 12 book companies every single day, every single day, you know, and, and just like when, when I was with Nav TV, the majority of the phone calls that I got, especially after hours, were not specifically about, you know, um, a Nav TV problem. They were more of a, I've got this issue. I've contacted the relevant companies. Um, I haven't been given a thorough explanation. So, you know, they were looking for help. And, you know, I think I was, I was one of many people that this type of situation was happening to. And I could, again, spend probably an hour discussing oh, yeah, definitely. the other people that, that did this. But, you know, what, what, came, what came down to the fact is that, you know, although I really took a lot of pride and um, a, a lot of uh, a lot of happiness in helping these people. It, it wasn't, unfortunately, being very conducive to my personal life. So, you know, I think that that made the decision that much easier for me. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you got a, a new little girl now. Uh, well, two at this point, is if that's correct. I have actually four daughters. I have a 27-year-old who is in grad school at the University of Florida. I have a 23-year-old who works for an ammunition manufacturer based in Phoenix, Arizona. A 21-year-old daughter who works for a company called Empire, which is the Caterpillar distributor for Southern California and Arizona. And I have a two and a half year old. <laughs> so, awesome. so, so, so yeah, all daughters. Uh, I know that when I die, God will meet me laughing. Um, but uh, thankfully they've all been, you know, very, very, very good kids. Um, you know, uh, very good kids. I'm very proud of all my children. And that's awesome. You know, it was, it was just, you know, I think a lot of car stereo installers that have families can empathize with what I'm saying. And I, I regret the countless nights, weekends, uh, missing recitals, missing, you know, uh, soccer games, things like that, because I was working. It didn't matter if it was a deadline for a customer's car or having to finish a vehicle up for Iaska finals or for SEMA or CES. There, there seemed to always be something that was placed between my family and myself and oh, yeah. being, being young and being aggressive and trying to make sure we had a roof over our heads. I, I foolishly chose my career over my family. And, you know, as we age, we get wiser. And when I was faced with the opportunity to continue down the same path, or continue down a path that would enable me to have a career 
and have a family life. Uh, I think it was a no brainer and I have no regrets for that decision. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, that, and that's one thing I've, I've discovered, especially with these shops and everything else, you know, uh, run my own business. You know, I put in a lot of time that could have waited till the next day. You know, um, I, I, I kind of love where you took this and I think this is a great point to make for some people is, you know what, it's, it's okay to step back and take some of that time and not overstress yourself for the job or for whatever is, you know, and make sure you're there when the kids grow up and whatever, because I'll be the first person to say, I, I, I fucked up the first one, you know, and I'm working <laughs> on trying to do better with the next two. But yeah, I think that's, that's a huge point. Uh, and I, I love the way you put that, that, you know, you, you realize some of the failures and well, you knew you even mentioned this before with uh, with Nav TV. You know, a lot of the failures, a lot of things, but you guys learn from, them. and that that also goes in with the the business aspect or just the uh, personal slash professional aspect and everything. And I hate the word balance and all that that shit. I think that's a joke. Me personally, you may have a different perspective. I don't know. I know you definitely have. No, I, I I think it's an excuse. I, I think that, that that all these people that are these self help gurus, it, it's 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 ridiculous because look. Here's my background. My father was a senior engineer for IBM in the 1960s. My mother was a school teacher. IBM, in their infinite wisdom, decided that they had a bunch of these young, horny, super talented engineers in Northern California that they had relocated from all over the country. Why not put them with teachers? Okay? And it's ironic (laughs) because growing up, I can tell you that probably half of my friends growing up their moms were teachers. Their dads were IBM engineers. Um, and it was really funny. Uh, but that's how Silicon Valley was. Notwithstanding that, you know, I think everything in life is what we create. It's what we make of it. Um, and we have, yep. we, have the, we have the power to change it. But we're so focused on what's happening right then, right now. And I've been absolutely guilty of that. And it's, it sounds like you have as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, this is a job. We may love our job, but it's a job uh, at the end of the day. You know, we can go to a certain extent, but, you know, people, the old adage is people that can do, do people that can't teach. I don't really agree with that. I think there's a very, very fine mix of the two that should be essential to any person, uh, especially someone that's going out trying to assist other people. What, I'm seeing a lot of the time, unfortunately, is a bunch of people that failed. I'm not seeing them really make anything, but they're trying to teach other people how to do things right. So it's kind of a catch-22. I'd agree with that 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at at the same point, you know, I think the positive messages and, you know, learning from mistakes that we've made are, are very, very good to pass on. I, in fact, wish I had listened to a lot of people including many of the people that I have mentioned, Guy Filippelli would be probably a prime example of things that he made mistakes on that I shouldn't. And at that time in my life, I was just too naive. You know, I I thought, ah, it's not going to affect me. I can handle this. It's going to change in a year or two and everything's going to be great. Well, the fact is, is that, hey, I'm 49 years old. I've been doing car stereo for well over 30 years, 30 years. Okay. I mean, put that in perspective. Did things change exponentially? Yes, it did. Uh, did everything go to crap? No. 
but there's aspects of the industry that directly affected my life negatively because it, quite candidly of my own naivety, my own ability to ignore people that had already gone through this, you know? So in, in that aspect, the people that are out there saying, Hey, don't do this. This is what I learned from my mistakes is quite positive. I agree hundred percent. I'm going to, I'm going to take what you said right there and change the subject slightly. I, I love what we're talking about here, but quite frankly, um, with the limited amount of time, we're going to have to come back and do this again, which by the way, I, that is an open invitation for you, buddy. <laughs> I definitely want you back on, but you said some differences and changes over the years. I want to, I want to bring this back to not only just 12 volt, but business in general. And some of the things, you know, you've, you say you've been in this, um, you know, 30 plus years. I've been in it 25 plus years. We've been through a lot of the same things, a few, a few different, you know, you had a, you got a little time on me here, not much, but there's been a whole lot of different things happen. Um, not only just, like I said, not just 12 volt, but just in business in general and as mm -hmm. things changing, what's kind of your thoughts and opinions on that? Maybe kind of what you see is coming down the pipeline. Well, you know, at the end of the day, it's always supply and demand. Okay. If you have a need for a widget and you can produce a solution for that widget, regardless of the industry, and you can make the best widget possible, you have a solid business plan. Well, at least in a business opportunity, the execution is another topic, but that's what's been faced with the automotive industry. There's been tremendous advancements in automotive technology. Uh, I, I would say starting in, you know, 1992, um, you know, when they started implementing OBD2 standards and CAN protocol, uh, 2002, when most was introduced, most 25 in BMW, uh, and coming to today, what we're seeing is we're seeing technology that has been useful in many cases in other industries, professional audio, for example, A2B. All these technologies, uh, Ethernet, uh, that have been deployed in other areas that are coming to the automotive architecture. And in the aftermarket, the OEMs, they never communicate with you. There was never a time when I got a phone call or our organization got a phone call from any OEM that said, hey, we're going to be producing this new infotainment system or new feature in a car. And this is what it does. No, it's basically the car comes out. The people don't like the way it works or want to add extra features. And they start going to car stereo shops. This yep. is old, old school word of mouth. I mean, and it trickles down. I remember in the early days of Nav TV getting just, I mean, dozens of phone calls about a single vehicle a day. Hey, oh, you guys working on, you I'm know. I'm sure I was quite a few of those. <laughs> no, but, but that's actually what fueled the fire of the company it is finding out what these customers were looking for. Uh, and it's the same reason the company was founded in the beginning. You know, hey, people wanted to come in and put video on their screen. Okay, great that came down into safety is, you know, rear view cameras and then into uh, navigation, into front cameras, into night vision, uh, into 360, into split view, uh, into rock crawling things, into multiple camera integration. So avoided stuff, all this, all the things you guys have done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, the, the a simple concept will evolve over time. And the customer's needs or the reason that they want something will evolve over time. 
And the company that has the ear to the needs of the customer is the company that's going to win, assuming that they can execute on it and supply the support. And the support, which any technical support guy will tell you, is a tremendous amount of the actual cost of a product. Uh, and and I, I think that, that nobody that's using the product would ever, ever imagine that. I can look back at myself having to call companies for technical support and not really having a really positive experience a lot of times. And that was one of the aspects that I think that, that NAPTV really thrived on is we made a point from the top down. Uh, and when I say top down, I mean the owner of the company to our chief engineer, to myself, to the rest of the engineering and technical support staff that we were going to treat our customers the way that we wanted to be treated when we were in the bank, uh, within our, our, our abilities, obviously. And it provided an opportunity to touch base with the customers one-on-one and solve problems. What it also allowed us to do is to listen to what their customers were wanting. That is the sole reason we were able to manufacture so many products very early on. Uh, because at the time, as I, I mentioned, People were buying less car stereo uh, because of the recession. They were coming in less and less. And the people that were coming in oftentimes were requesting things that literally did not exist. That ear to the grindstone, you know, was really the deciding moment for our company saying, hey, we not only can produce this, but we can keep our business partners in business. We can make sure that they're profitable. We can provide you know, verifiable and repeatable solutions to the customers. And uh, we can manufacture this in-house. We don't need to go to China, Um, you know, and that is a very, very, very hard thing to do. Uh, All of the above, including the last part, which is manufacturing offshore. Uh, If you don't know and your customers don't know uh, and your audience doesn't know, uh, NAPTV from the start actually manufactured well over 90% of all our offerings uh, that came directly from our offices that were manufactured in our facility. Uh, and that was something that we are still extremely proud about. Yeah, I remember, um, I know it's been, a, it's been a few years, but I remember you posting pictures and different things about um, some of the new equipment you guys have put in to manufacture what you were doing and everything. And doing that all right here is Honestly, just cool shit to me. I mean, I, I love the fact that it's it's done right here. And, and you guys, well, I say you guys, I, I mean, I know you're still associated with Nav TV, but doing something else. But, you know, you guys still build some of the best stuff on the planet. I mean, as far as no. integration and doing what we do. And uh, we plan on continuing to do so. But, you know, like I said, you know, it was a concentrated team effort between everybody involved. We all have the same interests at heart and it's still a reality. You know, what we have is obviously there's there's more competition. More people have kind of tried to emulate what we've oh, yeah. done over, over years. Um, and, and look, Nap TV is not a large company. Uh, you know, we're, we're not a Vox. We're, we're not an Alpine. Um, and I'm only using those because actually both of them are fairly small companies. Uh, but yep. in the scope of 12 volt, they're, they're monsters compared yeah, to us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, in both cases, I think they both build very, very inventive products. They've got great people at the helm and, you know, they're successful. And there's a reason they're successful. There's a reason NAV TV is successful. Uh, we've got great people at the helm. 
And that has continued since I left. You know, it's um, it's not something that I regret. You know, it's something that I'm very, very proud to say that I had the opportunity or was given the opportunity to do things that I never imagined that I could do. Um, I've been all over the world. I've trained tens and tens of thousands of people. And had I stayed in the Bay or in retail, I, I would have never had that opportunity. So, uh, you know, I, I, I thank them for that opportunity. Yeah. And again, I'll, I'll reiterate what you just said, man. NavTV still builds the best integration projects, products. I apologize on the, on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you guys, again, I keep saying that cause I still, <laughs> I still put you with NavTV buddy, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's literally, um, if we have anything going on that you guys have, it's literally, okay, we're doing this. This is what we sell. This is what we're doing. You know, if, if you have a solution for it, that's what we do. And no, and you, you can say we look, I, I know you're still there, so I'm using it. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, the fact is that my concentration right now has has migrated to the sister company. Um, right, right. Because that's what I had the bandwidth to do. But when you say we, it, it's the organization as a whole. Right. And the fact is, is that both Nav TV and Stellar Communication are the same we. It's the same people involved. And a company is a company, but people make the company. So, and I'll, and I'll be involved in that aspect probably until I retire and, and possibly beyond that, you know, if I have my way about it. And, and we greatly appreciate, and I say we, not me, we, we as a company, we, we greatly appreciate, you know, those comments. That's what we always strive to do. We always strive to be better. We always strive to support the client and provide not only the best solution possible, but a profitable solution. You know, that was always the goal. It was never to develop a internet-based company that we can go right to the consumer or, you know, uh, employ other tactics to try to avoid, you know, being able to support our customer, but on the backside, you know, selling in the, you know, directly to the end user. Um, You know, the the internet industry has definitely changed. And I'm not going to say that NAPTV has not intensified either marketing or or sales in that channels, but it's never been a concentration. Uh, We've always known since day one that our meat and potatoes has always been the independent 12 volt retailer. Uh, That's fact. It's not going to change. Our products are not sexy. You know, I can't put a beautiful 80 pound subwoofer in your hands as a NAPTV product and say, Ooh, look at this. Feel the weight. Isn't it sexy? No. What do we have? I've got a black box with a bunch of wires coming out of it. I mean, it's, it's not sexy. It's like a fat chicken spandex. But I beg to differ for a guy that has to put stuff in cars or well was, and I have guys that do that. Um, But you know what? It's, it is sexy to me, and I know it's sexy to a lot of our 12-volt listeners because it works. And also the fact that there's education behind it. And I, I know I'm going to kind of twist this around a little bit, but you've done a lot of education and stuff over the years, whether it be, you know, Knowledge Fest or different things or whatever. But teaching us how these CAN networks work or what to do with this or, you know, some a lot of the different things that NavTV has done – but also, it, again, back to the fact that it works and it, if there is a problem, you know what? It's taken care of. And I think I, I think that's fabulous. <laughs> From my no. end of things, that is spec fucking tacular. 
So, no, I, I think that nobody wants problems. Uh, but again, ba- based on my experience originally with the company, you know, look, I don't care who, who you deal with. It can be General Electric. It can be, you know, uh, Weber Grills. Okay. Uh, and it can be- <laughs> that brings up something. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be anything, you know, look, there's a lot of good companies out there that, that, um, that fall on their face occasionally. It's how they react during those situations that really defines a company. But I, I, okay, hold on. You brought up Weber grills. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, I got to ask. I, I know the story. So let's hear a, a, a quick, um, this will be a funny little thing for everybody to hear. If you don't, <laughs> if, if you're okay with that. All right. So, <laughs> so over 20 years ago, I bought a Weber grill. Uh, after researching these things pretty intently. Um, I'm kind of a nerd that way. Anything I do, I will research it to death uh, before I go purchase, which your customers, by the way, are doing to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so absolutely. Yeah. So anyways, I had a great experience with the Weber grill. And several years ago, when it was time for me to buy a new grill, of course, what did I do? I went out to my local Home Depot and I purchased a Weber grill, brought the thing home. Within a year, my Weber grill had started to rust all over the place. I contacted Weber, uh, who had a 10-year warranty on the product, and uh, their response to me was, that's not covered under warranty. I presented them with the bill of sale from Home Depot. I presented them with a statement from Home Depot that Weber had presented to them, stipulating what was actually covered under the warranty, including rust. Weber grills told me basically to pound sand. So I started a Facebook group called Weber Grills Suck, I believe. I can't remember. It's been several uh, years. Yeah, I thought it was and, something like that. And or, or maybe it was Boycott Weber Grill, something like that. I, I actually joined the Weber Grills Facebook page as well as some of their other social media pages and invited them all to like the page. Uh, <laughs> I basically created a living hell for Weber Grills. And it was hilarious because there were actually people just like me that had a positive experience with the brand because of their inability to actually honor a legitimate warranty under warranty. uh, It did cost them several sales. There were several people that had joined the group that actually wrote to Weber Grills telling them that they will never buy a grill because of the way they handled my situation. And actually named me. Anyways, long story short, Weber Grill ended up contacting me and they said, well, we'll replace every component on the grill on the condition that you take your Facebook group down. And I told them, I have no problem with that. I will not comment any further on the group, but I will not take it down. It'll stay up in case someone else like me has a similar problem. They can use it as a voice to get to different people. So anyways, to this day, the Weber Grill was replaced. It has not rusted, so I assume they had some manufacturing defects during the time I bought mine. Uh, Home Depot uh, sent me a letter of apology, although Weber Grills never did. And uh, by the way, that Facebook group is still active as far as I know. I haven't I haven't looked for it, but I'm pretty sure it's still there. Uh, in fact, I, I got it pulled up. I'm actually going to do a, a quick little... Uh... Anyways, the, the fact is there's power <laughs> in persuasion. There's power in people doing things that are right and the people that negatively uh, react to negative situations 
are probably not going to continue with uh, continued business. In fact, uh, I'm looking at my grill now and it's not a Weber. Boycott Weber grills. And yes, it is still here. And <laughs> yes, I am a member. And I, I love Weber grills. I'll be I'll be honest with you. But you know what? I, I don't want shit breaking either. And you know it, what? Look, that, that That's a great point right there. That You know what? If you don't take care of your customers, don't make sure things are done right. And this goes back to everything you said of what, you know, NavTV's done and everything you've done over the over the years, you know, taking care of your customers, making sure things are done. You know, that's going to fucking matter. And no, look, look, it matters. You know, I mentioned before about people calling me, you know, honestly, it was probably a good at least 80 percent had nothing to do with what put food on my table. And right. you know, I, I answered their questions, you know, year after year after year. You know, I set back from Nap TV, as I said, a year ago, and I still get a lot of these customers that have hired me for consulting. You know, obviously anything that's non-competitive or what puts food on my table or the right. company I used to work for, but it has enabled me to help them. Uh, and, and financially, it has affected me positively as well. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those situations where... Sometimes hard work and doing things that really aren't in your roadhouse or shouldn't be in your roadhouse, rather, uh, can actually benefit both the people calling and the individual answering the questions. And not that I'm an expert, believe me, I'm still learning every single day. But, you know, there's still a lot of things that are happening in our industry where things are being spoon fed, even more so every day. I see it, you know, uh, and the foundations to a lot of what these people should know aren't there. There's not nobody teaching them. There's nobody advising them of those. And, uh, you know, I really relish the ability to, to assist people on my own time um, and within my abilities. And if I can't, uh, it, it's even a, a better feeling to be able to refer them to other people that can help them. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many people I've referred for, you know, to Rod, Todd Ramsey, for example, over the years and yeah. a lot of other people that are both friends, colleagues, and mentors um, that have had certain professional prowess that I didn't I didn't possess. Uh, and th- there's no shame in that. We can't know everything. Anybody that yeah. tells you to do, I'd run from. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, it's, you know, the, the adage that it takes a village to raise a child, uh, I, I hold very, very near and dear to my heart. I'm really a product of that without all of the people I've worked with, with all, all the people that have contributed to my success, uh, including, you know, and especially including uh, my employer have enabled me to make a difference, not only in my life, but in other people's lives. You know, it's not always sugarcoated. And, and I don't think that people need to be spoon fed sugar. I think that a lot of times what people need is a really bitter pill in order for them to wake up. And if presented in, in, in the, uh, the right light, rather, they can decide that they don't really like that pill or, you know what, it's exactly what they needed at that point in their lives. Uh, I know I have had to have that. I have had many experiences with people that I looked up to where they put me in my place. And in certain instances, I was angry about it. In certain instances, I was embarrassed. But ultimately, I, I think that in all those circumstances, inevitably, I came to the conclusion that it helped me grow. So I love that, yeah, man. That That's really we can try to achieve as a community and not just as a total industry, but as human beings. 
because, you know, we're all fragile. We're all in a position where we don't know everything. We're always going to look out for help. The 12 volt industry just seems to be the one industry that is very hesitant about asking for help. If it's ever exposed that they did, they're ashamed. And it shouldn't be that way. It really shouldn't be that way in any profession. In fact, what I do now in public safety is even worse. I'm training fire departments that are supposed to be experts at what they do. And they have no training, you know. And today at 3.30, I sat in front of two people that have 75 years of experience between them that were hesitant to admit that they need help to be able to do their job from an outside entity. That, that shouldn't happen. We should be able to freely express our need for help. We should be able to freely express our concerns, whether professional or personal, uh, without repercussions. And I think the people that point a finger, you know, like the bully on The Simpsons and, and you know, make fun of people uh, really are the ones that should fall by the wayside. You know, it, I love it. I love that, man. I tell you what, I think that is a perfect perfect thing for people to think about and a place to end this episode. And what we're going to do is we're going to have you back on very soon. Cause I feel like this conversation could, could go on for like two or three hours. Oh, it can go on for two or three days, but yeah, you know. we, we can keep this going on forever, but I know you have uh, dogs and uh, a toddler and some fun things to do. And I got another recording actually to do. So I'm going to uh, kill this one off right here but man think about that right there everybody uh, you know there's a lot to uh a lot to listen to and a lot to um you know it's okay to ask for help i, lo- I love that i love what you said right there ben that, that is spectacular no your next guest is probably an exemplary person for someone that's helped people so say hello to brian for me i will i will absolutely and thank you for coming on and Please, um, we'll, we'll schedule one too. And I got to say, everybody, Derek was very nice to reschedule for me. I fucked up my schedule and he was very nice enough to reschedule with me and make this happen. So thank you very much for coming on, man. And I appreciate you. And I definitely want to have you back on. And next time I get to Florida, I'm going to come see you and say hi. Oh, please do. We'd love to have you. All right, everybody. That is a... Um, Another episode. Don't forget to check out our cigar sponsor. We didn't even get to cars and cigars. We were just talking and having a good time, talking some business and some experiences and everything like that. But check out Vita Nova Cigars. And of course, check out the Cario Shop here in St. Louis and give us a like, a share, a comment, have some fun, whatever. And remember, go enjoy the drive. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you for tuning into the Business Cars and Cigars podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing.